Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And a good morning to you. Jeez, I'm so much stronger than that tepid little introduction. Sounds like uh, Alex is the guy who did that. It sounds like he's under like 20 pounds of blankets and, you know, secreted away, secreted away. I don't want to be secreted, I guess. Um, Whatever. Um, Anyway, here I am with my new microphone. What do you think? Uh, It's when I awoke this morning and with some trepidation do what I did, what I do every morning. Uh, which is check the news that happened overnight. I, of course, was greeted with the mosque shootings in New Zealand. Um, And what was just immediately apparent to me is that it's What happened here at Tree of Life and what happened in Christchurch at these mosques is the exact, of course, same thing. And it is important that we acknowledge that and don't get, uh, oh, now they're targeting synagogues. Now they're targeting mosques. I assure you it's one and the same thing. And if Jews and Muslims can't see that they have a common enemy, that they are natural allies in what is a global fight now, clearly a global fight, And what made it resonate so much for me was that just the night before, last night, I had uh, come upon a rather lengthy piece in um, the Atlantic. And I was so taken by it that I, I printed it out, all the better to share with you some of what um, I learned in that article. Uh, the, the attacker in New Zealand was very clear about why he had a long manifesto with his concerns and why he was taking the action he took. And he referenced some of America's great mass killers who had preceded him, including Dylan Roof, who, of course, killed nine uh, black Americans in a Charleston church. And the manifesto that he wrote is just littered with the same kind of concerns voiced by Robert Bowers, who is the mass murderer here. They are all one of a piece. This is a global network of white supremacists who truly fear that white people are essentially being wiped off the face of the earth. Um, We've learned so much in the last few years about these people. Uh, I remember my shock when I finally understood what that strange chant that our homegrown uh, haters were chanting in Charlottesville, which was, the Jews will not replace us. And I didn't understand what that meant. What does that mean? I kept thinking, 
How could Jews replace you? There's so few Jews. How could they replace you? I mean, you outnumber Jews. But I didn't understand it. And then I educated. I got educated. These people, the guy who shot up Tree of Life, this guy, and God knows how many all over the world, truly feel that the Jews are the masterminds of this effort to bring immigrants, brown people, inferior people, into Western nations and to obliterate the white races therein. So the Jew is the mastermind manipulator, and the, all the other brown-skinned people are manipulated by them to go into these countries. This is what these people believe. It's what the guy here believed. George Soros has been brought into it as financing, right? Financing the caravans, bringing the brown people into the United States. He's a Jew. The Jew finances it, brings them in. The Jews have to be taken out, and all of this riffraff, including Muslims, brown-skinned people, have to be taken out because they are creating what these people think is a white genocide. Um, in this Creeps Manifesto, he, he's a 28-year-old white guy, and he said he was defending our land from invaders, and he was ensuring a future for white children. This is really no different than what Congressman Steve King spouts. It certainly has uh, shadings of uh, Donald Trump. And in fact, the, this guy in his manifesto referenced our president favorably. So let me, if I may, share with you some of what I learned last night some of which I, I was aware of, but this was really put it all together. And it is about the fact that America in America gave the world a lot of this white supremacist, white nationalism gave the world the words and the underlying pseudoscientific uh, foundation for their argument. And here again is another instance where we in the United States just cling to our mythology about being a welcoming country, being a great melting pot of a country. There is truth in that, but there is an equal other aspect of America, its history, its presence, and that is a nativistic, white nationalistic, and increasingly terroristic underbelly that fears that melting pot that sees that ultimately the melting pot they see it as a white genocide so this creep in New Zealand says I'm doing it to save my people uh, the creep here uh, texted or put out on social media right before he drove into Squirrel Hill to do his uh, his deed. 
he wrote, I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. You know, and you read, you, when you hear and read what these killers say, you think, what, what is he talking about? Are we seeing white people slaughtered in the United States? <laughs> Last time I looked, there was black people being slaughtered. They think white people are being slaughtered. He also, the guy here, said that white Americans are facing genocide. And then he said that this, these Jews were helping bring, these, this is from his words, invaders into the country that kill our people. Now, of course, when that happened here, and when it's happened in New Zealand, you see the New Zealand people saying exactly what we said. This is not America. This is not New Zealand. This is not our country. We are a welcoming country. We are a good country. But you can't say that if you don't know our history. And I'm not talking about the airbrushed civics class history that you learned in elementary school. George Washington chopping down a cherry tree. That kind of stuff, right? There are so many chapters of darkness in our history. So if you want to believe that this surge in uh, anti-Semitism, in white supremacist violence, um, and the growth of it around the world is like something new, is something that came in with Donald Trump, I assure you its roots run much, much deeper. Yes, Donald Trump has aided and abetted these roots spreading further into our soil. The whole concept that white people were being genocided, uh, being, you know, extinct, made extinct, uh, because of the because of genetically inferior or culturally inferior peoples, non-white being brought into European countries, to our country, to New Zealand, by the Jews. This is something that has a long-standing past in this country. And it's so much in the bone and blood of our fabric that you have to then understand where Donald Trump gets his shithole countries, referring to countries where blacks and Africans live, where he speaks of invasion by caravans of rapists and murderers, brown-skinned people. These are thoughts, ideas, that have been very much present in American politics for well over a hundred years. Well, well, well over a hundred years. And it is often American intellectuals who gave rise to the verbiage that we're seeing now, again, coming out. And we don't even know about these people. The Atlantic article makes it very clear. 
they say in the article that the seed of Nazism's ultimate objective, what was their ultimate objective? It was the preservation of the Aryan race, the white race. Uncontaminated by Jewish blood, gypsy blood, any kind of foreign blood. That is an idea. Well before Adolf Hitler rose to power that generated great excitement and support here in the United States. In fact, although it, we call it extremist now, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was perceived as... Um, absolute truth and it was supported by powerful people in the United States. Politicians, religious leaders, the American elite, well-connected men who seized on this idea of race suicide. That's what they called it. It was before even the word genocide was making the round. So it was called race suicide. And when there was a huge influx of immigrants into this country, in the, it's when my grandfather came, um, in the uh, early, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, the white folks, and this was not the white rabble, it was the patrician white folks, were exceedingly alarmed at this riffraff coming in and polluting the country. Here's a man who we should know, and I never heard of him, but he was the power, the intellectual power behind this movement. His name was Madison Grant. Wealthy, well-connected. And in 1916, he wrote a book that was a runaway bestseller called The Passing of the Great Race, namely white people. And he, in that book, brought together every strand of this that had existed before because there were, there were utterances like this emanating from, uh, from European countries as well. And he put it all together in this book saying how white people were doomed. His book also said that the Nordic race uh, was obviously what needed to be preserved and because he says it was they who accomplished all of Western... I mean, we're, we're hearing the same thing now, right? Um, he had so many supporters in the U.S. Congress... Uh, one cannot begin to, to name them all. Guess who picked up his book and loved it so much he wrote, he wrote Madison Grant to tell him, to thank him? Mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler sent Madison Grant a fan letter and he referred to it, Hitler, referred to his that book as his Bible. Why don't we know this? And the doctrine that was in that book has been reworked, rejuvenated, rebranded, and resurrected 
over and over and over again. And all we are seeing now is the latest iteration. It's the latest iteration of it that brings death to 49 people praying in their mosques in New Zealand. It's the exact same story and conspiracy theory that brought death here to Pittsburgh at Tree of Life. And this guy, Madison Grant, was most troubled by the Jews because he's the, he said that it was the Jews who were the puppeteers of this. Here is something from his book about Jews. They adopt the language of the Native American. That means white people, not Native Americans. They wear his clothes, they steal his name, and they are beginning to take his women. But they seldom adopt his religion or understand his ideals. And while he is being elbowed out of his own home, Americans look calmly abroad and urge on others the suicidal ethics which are exterminating his own our own race. So it was Madison Grant who sort of synthesized all of these kinds of, I mean, you can go back to 1853. There was a French uh, count who was starting to create this kind of a stir. Uh, there were others. There was a... Um, in America as well, a statistician named Francis Walker, who, writing in, guess what? The Atlantic, the same, the same magazine that I was reading last night, but Francis Walker, a hundred years earlier, writing in the Atlantic, that these hordes coming into the United States were made up of beaten men from beaten races, whose offspring were crowding out the fine native stock of white America. Uh, the sociologists, uh, another American sociologist, talked of immigrants coming into the country as masses of fecund but beaten humanity from the hovels of far Lombar Lombardy and Galicia. And he term, he's the one who created the term race suicide. But Madison Grant is the one who took all of these things and synthesized them into what was deemed a scholarly work that changed history. Here's more from his book. The cross between a white man and an Indian is an Indian. The cross between a white man and a Negro is a Negro. The cross between a white man and a Hindu is a Hindu. And the cross between any of the three European races and a Jew is a Jew. And that was the one-drop theory writ large. If we let these people intermarry in any way, they immediately pollute the white stock. So this was not considered outrageous. In fact, the New York Times and the Nation magazine were very, very uh, excited by Grant's ideas. Teddy Roosevelt, who was out of office at the time, uh, wrote Grant that his book showed fearlessness. President Harding publicly praised 
one of Grant's disciples, Lothrop Stoddard, and warned that there was a real danger of whites being wiped out. And here is what President Harding said. Racial amalgamation cannot be. President Calvin Coolidge also thought Grant was a genius and was warning Americans about something they needed to heed. Here is Calvin Coolidge, quote, there are racial considerations too grave to be brushed aside for sentimental reasons. Biological laws tell us that certain divergent peoples will not mix or blend. Actually, Coolidge wrote that in an article that appeared in 1921, Good Housekeeping. This was absolutely mainstream thought. So you have Coolidge saying that in 1921, the races cannot mix with other races, he wrote, other than the whites. There is deterioration. Quality of mind and body suggests that observance of ethnic law is as great a necessity to our nation as immigration law. This Atlantic article also points out something that I know I have talked about before. Another mythology in America is that racism was somehow confined to the South. Oh, dear. Much, if not most, of this nativist energy, which we see rising again, came out of the Northeast and came out of the Northwest. And one of the Congress people that was most into taking what Grant wrote and legislating it was a congressman from Washington State, Albert Johnson. He was joined by a Pennsylvania senator, Senator David Reed. And it was David Reed who sponsored in 1924 the Immigration Act. And this Immigration Act really tried to get a handle on who could come in here. Uh, the Congress actually um, had an expert eugenics agent appointed, a guy named Harry Laughlin, who is just a flat-out racist. Just a flat-out racist. Um, Pennsylvania Senator Reed after the bill passed, said, we have closed the doors just in time to prevent our Nordic population being overrun by the lower races. This is 1924, less than 100 years ago, United States of America, after World War I, and as Adolf Hitler, spouting the same kind of crap, is gaining power in Germany. This same congressman wrote, and this could not, Steve King could have written this, right? The United States is our land. We intend to maintain it so. The day of unalloyed welcome to all peoples, the day of indiscriminate acceptance of all races has definitely ended. We must maintain our cherished institutions which stand diluted by a stream of alien blood. 
This was not a white nationalist speaking. Oh, no, this was an honorable congressperson, congressman. So in 1933, Adolf Hitler actually is interviewed by the New York Times. This is um, a year before he became the chancellor of Germany. He's interviewed by the New York Times, and here is what he said. It was America that taught us that a nation should not open its doors equally to all nations. And he admiringly, in his interview, said that the United States simply excludes the immigration of certain races. And in this respect, America already pays obeisance, or obeisance, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, to what Hitler called the Volkish conception of the state, meaning that you keep it pure. So who knew that Hitler was schooled by American policies? Another of Grant's... Uh, followers also got a personal thank you note from Hitler when uh, he sent Der Fuhrer a copy of his book called The Case for Sterilization. So American pseudo-scientific intellectual racist crap was heading across the seas to Europe and certainly to the welcoming arms of Adolf Hitler. And finding comfort in the halls of the Congress of the United States, at the Supreme Court of the United States, and in the White House of the United States. And what the Nazis found exciting about the American model of keeping people, undesirable people down, was how they came up with schemes like depriving the undesirables of their basic rights, like voting. Nazi lawyers, and this is well documented, <coughs> carefully studied how the United States despite its pretense of equal citizenship for all, despite its Pledge of Allegiance and its, you know, its heralded mythology, Nazi lawyers knew that if they wanted to know how to set up their racist state, they should look at how the United States managed to effectively deny true citizenship to its citizens who were not white. The Nazis poured through America's Supreme Court decisions that withheld full citizenship rights from non-whites people. They examined cases that in which the U.S. Supreme Court tried to put hard lines around who could be considered white the Nazis particularly reveled in the one-drop rule, which defined anyone with any trace of African blood as black. And guess what? The Nazis found that a little too extreme. <laughs> the Nazis found American law on mongrelization too harsh to be embraced by the Third Reich. They were admired, they had great admiration, but it was a little bit much for them. So the Atlantic article talks about America's penchant for historical amnesia. 
and I would say it's even more than historical amnesia. We don't even know this history to forget it. I don't know if any of you were able to see there was an eight-minute film that made that was nominated for an Oscar short documentary this year that does nothing but use video from a rally in Madison Square Garden in the 20s or maybe even early 30s. And it looks like a Hitler. It, it's Americans. They're all doing this. A Jew who had gone to this to witness it got so freaked out by what he was hearing that he jumped on stage and started make <laughs> started rushing the the American Führer, I forget his name. But see, why don't we know that guy's name? And he was beset upon by brown-shirted thugs, beaten. It was New York City cops who saved him. They came in and saved the guy. As the crowd is like, you know, essentially, you know, kill the Jew, all this kind of stuff going on. This is Madison Square Garden, okay? This seed of this kind of racism and fear of white genocide is something that Adolf Hitler took and created, well, what we know. And so the fact that we are seeing it again and now, because of social media, it's global. This crap, the same crap, is spreading all over the place. It's what got this 28-year-old in New Zealand to do what he did. It's what got the guy here to do what he did. And man, I got to tell you, there's many, 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 many more of them And it ain't going to go away when Trump goes away. All he's done is, again, uncover it. So we now see it, and we see how tenacious it is. We hear it now coming from Trump's base. We hear it coming from the White House. We hear it coming from Congress. We hear it constantly on Fox News, the same kind of stuff, the invasion of America by these hordes. You know, Steve Bannon is a true devotee of this kind of crap, as is Stephen Miller. But Bannon is always talking about a book called The Camp of the Saints, and it is a, a book written in 1973, a dystopian novel of what happens when France allows all these brown and black people in to their country. And of course, what it is, is the whites are annihilated. Remember the president saying he wanted, why can't we have immigrants from, what did he say, Norway? Nordic. Another thing that these uh, uh, these proto-fascists in America uh, hated was the 14th Amendment, obviously. And by the way, that amendment is uh, regularly denigrated by a lot of Republicans, by Trump himself. All this comes from this guy, Grant. Who knew? Madison Grant.
And so it is true. The gravest threat to this country has always been inside this country. It's not the threat from outside. It's these people inside. And the greatest threat to this country is now in the White House. So make no mistake, there will be more of this. And while we now safeguard mosques, we safeguard synagogues, at some point we've got to understand what is happening and that this white genocide movement, I mean this sense that they are being killed, is a global thing, sort of like ISIS, right? And they, they employ the same kind of, uh, you know, sort of uh, scare tactics and the same kind of absolutist uh, messaging. There are a lot of lunatics loose in this world, and social media really allows them to connect. Oh, thank you. Nikolai is telling me that the rally in Madison Square Garden, Jesus, was in 1939? Huh. Well... By 1939, it was uh, rather clear what Hitler and Nazism, I think, were up to. And Madison Square Garden is packed. Packed. Those were Americans. And their children were taught by them. And their children were taught by them. You think this is not a huge presence in America? And we're, well, I don't know. What else we got? Uh, Bill writes, <coughs> good morning, Dix owes you. Oh, I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned we should all go buy a Dix because they are a extraordinarily um, socially active corporation and they're headquartered here and they're making a strong, powerful stand against the gun lobby and they're taking guns out of their stores and it's hurting their business and we don't want them to get hurt for doing the right thing, do we? So you got to go and spend your money at Dick's. Uh, Bill says, I ordered two pair of gym shorts. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. And he says, and did you see that our vice president had to host the Irish prime minister and his husband <laughs> when they were in Washington. I did. And I thought that the vice president, he just puts this mask on. And the Irish prime minister, who is gay and married, um, made a very stirring speech about um, bigotry. Standing right there with Pence. And as Bill said, watching that, I find pleasure in the little things in life. Indeed. So anyway, I thought, I mean, you can imagine that when I read, I read that piece last night and then woke up this morning to this mosque attack with the manifesto saying the exact same crap that Madison Grant had written in his book that Hitler called his Bible. Madison Grant, a waspy, highly connected, respectable American, quoted by presidents 
amazing. Okay. Oh, caller. I completely forgot. I'm sorry, Amy. Is the caller still there? Hey, Lynn. Hi. It's Mike in D.C. Hi, Mike. I um, read this article once that said there aren't that many white nationals, that there are only about 500. They did the research on their websites and found that it's the same 200 guys who repost, and they're all men, of course, and then they have like a support system of people who are curious. It's like 500. And then they have some people who tangentially looked and never looked again. But that the, num the only thing the Internet is doing is finding these disparate people and connecting them. It's not making any more. And there aren't really that many of them. I don't buy it's that. It's just that the media, you don't? Nope. I really don't. I mean, look at what's happened. I mean, you had the the horror with that Norwegian guy how many years ago, and he had the same. He, he was infected by the same stuff, where he killed all those children on that island. Um, you had it's so constant, and now they have so many publications out there. How is what they? what scares them much different than what Fox News is plying on a regular basis every evening. Do you know what I mean? How is yeah, that white you. nationalism different from Trump's, you know, getting his base worked up about these hordes coming in to replace us? I it is I I absolutely do not believe it is a matter of hundreds of people, um, absolutely do not. And I think the people who sympathize with them is huge, huge. I think if they weren't, uh, if I think they could easily fill up Madison Square Garden again. I think there's tens of thousands of them. If not active, like the guys that go and do this stuff, supportive of, sympathetic to what drove them to do what they did. It's Trump's base in large part, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the one thing the president has done well, is that he's given these blowhards permission to say things that they never would have said before, for fear of looking like total morons. Well, don't, I would not discount their power. I mean, Steve King, okay, is one, is he not? He's a congressman reelected over and over and over again from the state of Iowa. Um, I'm not saying all the people who vote for Steve King are white nationalists, but quite clearly they don't have a bit of a problem with his white nationalism. Or the president's. It's, you know, the race, racism. It's racism is what it is. And it's huge in our country. Always yeah, being, a, hmm? being a white guy who may or may not be able to be seen as heterosexual, I do get white guys saying things to me because they think I'm, I'm, I'm bald. So they think I'm part of them and several of them have said things to me thinking that I would agree with them yeah sure so not only do they not only are there probably more than this article said there were but they're so emboldened now because of Trump right that they think everyone thinks that way right well they're surrounded by like-minded people and because you know, social media allow us to, to you know, ghettoize ourselves with the like-minded people. That that's yeah, sure. I, no, I I I taught. Oh, go ahead. I taught the day after the 2008 election, and the manager of the building, this white, I'm sure, I don't know if he's a white national, but he was definitely a racist. I said, yeah, I teach tomorrow, and he's like, well, if Obama doesn't win, this city's going to erupt in fire. 
So you call me first thing in the morning to find out if you can come to this location. And I thought, huh? He really thought that the Capitol would be burned down and the Pentagon would be bombed if Obama didn't get elected. So they are out there, I have no doubt. Well, as usual, those people are projecting because um, that that's uh, probably a genuine fear if uh, Donald Trump doesn't get reelected, <laughs> not not with Obama. I don't know. No, this is. And that's the that's the big fear all along. That's the big fear, period, is that those people, whoever they are, are going to take what I have. Right. And that somehow you'll be able to stop it if you have guns and if you a racist and whatever. And like you said, Hitler found this solution. Yeah. He convinced all those people. And I guess the same number of people convince all of these people. There's no doubt about it in my mind. None. And it, it, I mean, I think you, we do have to listen to the people who are saying, Oh boy, there's an uptick here. There's an uptick here. I just yesterday came on, here, this is from the New York Times today. The uh, chief uh, executive of Volkswagen is under attack because, <laughs> did you hear this one? He, no. He, this is the guy who took over after the company was part of that emission scandal where they'd tampered with their, so that, their CEO was knocked out, and this guy came in to, to calm things down. He gave a speech yesterday in Berlin in which he repeated more than once, I wish I spoke German and I could say it, but he repeated, work sets you free in German, which is the exact thing that was, it was on the gates, gates right. of Auschwitz and other concentration camps. And the article says that many of the people in the audience were embarrassed, angry, couldn't believe it, and um, he has since apologized. How do you even, or, here, listen to this, a leading right-wing national newspaper in Poland published a front-page article the other day, which is titled, How to Recognize a Jew. Because you're all in hiding. No, because it lists, listen to this, I'd like to see this article, it lists uh, Jewish names, anthropological features, expressions, appearances, character traits, and get this, methods of operation. Boy, that's right out of Goebbels' playbook. Right? How to spot a Jew. Front page, Polish newspaper. Uh-huh. Uh, anti-Semitism in Germany on the rise, uh, in Poland on the rise, in Hungary on the rise, in UK on the rise, in the United States on the rise, anti-Muslim, same thing, all those same places. If Jews and Muslims don't realize they are brothers, not enemies, then, well the whole idea of divide and conquer is going to be, if any if anyone is in danger here, <laughs> it ain't the white people, I can assure you. But they are losing some of their power. That is true, is, isn't it? And they've gone berserk. And well, like the book that Trump has on his nightstand, apparently, um, Hitler's speeches. Hitler's speeches. Like those speeches, yeah, like those speeches tell him the best way to divide a population is to pick a common en- and pick an enemy and make them the bad guy. Right. So he's learning from the master. Well, it comes... I and mean, everybody's applauding him. Hitler learned from this American guy. And now our American president is learning from Hitler. It comes, it goes, it travels across the, the pond. Uh this is very real, and there are now 49 dead, innocent people in New Zealand who are victims of this rising white nationalism. It's all the same. And, and, and anybody else who had Jewish grandchildren, which is what Trump has, would say, 
hey, my grandchildren are Jewish. Stop this. Yeah, well. I'm for, I wish Jews had excommunication. I, I want to excommunicate. <laughs> Who wants them? We didn't ask for a Yvonne. Uh, we didn't ask for any Trumps. No. Or I feel the same way about Michael Jackson. Thank God he never came out. <laughs> we don't need that. We don't need that associated no, I know, with us. I know, like, right. I wish we could disassociate. But, hey, Mike, thank you. Appreciate your call. Sure. Okay. Bye. 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 Um, other little bits of news. Uh, there is a little sign that uh, some Republican senators are um, starting to be willing slightly to stand up uh, to Trump in this regard, blocking his um, emergency uh, declaration. But not enough of them, probably. Although it would be nice if they could, you know, corral a few more and actually sustain that. Um, is it sustain the veto? Override the veto. Also, Trump uh, law. Uh, well, Trump lost at the in the courts again yesterday. Uh, a New York appeals court uh, said that uh, Trump has does not have immunity from uh, a defamation lawsuit that was lodged against him, uh, that his presidency does not give him immunity uh, to the charge. And that was brought by this woman, Summer Zerbos, who was um, one of the contestants on The Apprentice, who has said that he groped and kissed her against her will. He then said she was a lying who knows what, and she sued him for defamation. Uh, three to two ruling said, uh, nah, this can go forward. And, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Lost that one. And another, uh, court victory, uh, with the Connecticut Supreme Court, uh, saying that gun manufacturers can, in fact, be, uh, be targeted in a lawsuit uh, brought by the parents of the Sandy Hook kids who would be teenagers now. And they figure, they just keep coming. God bless them. And even though the Congress has passed all these laws shielding manufacturers of these lethal weapons from any kind of liability if they are used in murderous attacks, the Sandy Hook people figured out that, okay, well, we're going to go after them for the marketing, the way they market the, um, I don't know if this is going to win, but anyway, there was a little loophole that they saw their way through and the court agreed. And so it could be that uh, if this goes forward at all, they might be able to get their hands on some internal marketing stuff from the gun manufacturers about how to appeal to white men's angst. How to appeal to white male losers. Um, so that's good, I guess. And I think that's all I have. Um, yeah. So, wasn't yesterday a ridiculous? God. I was out gardening, and then I went for a walk. Every dog in the East End was out for a walk when I went, and uh, I met people. I just love it when people come out um, on, a, on a warm day in March. <laughs> so desperate to be out. Um, I hope you were able to enjoy some of it. And uh, I guess that's it. And I will uh, see you again on Monday. And I hope you have a, a good weekend.
Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.